Well, you know, as we are coming to Christmas, I think that one thing that is very easy to do is to just sort of be used to it and to not, you know, to not necessarily be all that excited about Christmas. So I think every once in a while, it's good for us to take a look at things from a different perspective and from a different angle, because I think if we look at things from maybe a different perspective or angle, then we're able to get sort of a, a fresh approach and kind of help open our eyes up to something that has become very familiar to us. I saw a story about a few guys, they were out on a hiking trip, and as they came, uh, came up a, a hill, there was a huge river that was just raging with water. And one of the guys just scared to death. They had to get across before it became dark. And so he immediately, of course, he began to pray. And he said, God, I, I pray, Lord, that you will give me the strength to get across this river. And all of a sudden, his arms just like got huge and his legs got big. And he was able to swim across the river. It took him a couple hours, but he got across the river. And then the next guy in line said, God, I, I pray that you'll give me the tools to get across the river. And then a canoe pops up and, and the guy gets in a canoe and he wrote, by the way, this is not a true story. So he gets in a canoe, and, and he, he is able to row across the river. It takes him about an hour, but his boat almost capsizes. And, and then the third guy says, God, I, I, I'm going to need the intellect to be able to get across the river. And it was then that God turned him into a woman. And he walked down about 100 yards and walked across the bridge and was able to get to the other side. Now, now whenever you look at things from a different perspective... I mean, it's amazing how all of a sudden things sometimes can become a little bit more meaningful to you. And as we are at Christmas right now, I think it's one of the easy things to do, and especially you know, for, for me as well, is just to be so used to the whole, you know, the whole Christmas story. I mean, we know the Christmas story pretty much. And we could talk about, yeah, Jesus was born, swaddling clothes, big star, there was wise men that came, there's Herod the crazy man, all these different things we know about Christmas, and it just sort of just sort of goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, even, even the holiday itself is very, you know, it can be stale for a lot of us. You know, we eat the same food, you know, we have the same people that come over to the house, we have the same, sometimes the same arguments with the same people. And so I think one of the best things that we can do whenever we begin to feel this way is just to begin to look at things from a different perspective or a different angle. And so today, instead of, instead of looking at, you know, the, the birth story of Jesus, I thought one thing that we could do is take a look at another part of the Christmas story that's really very important as well. And so what we're going to do in our, today in our passage of Scripture is we're going to look at the story of a couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah eventually were to become the parents of a man that was known as John the Baptist. Now, believe it or not, but John the Baptist, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were a, an integral part of the Christmas story. And I just want, I want to read to you what we know about John the Baptist. In, in Luke 3, verses 2 through 6, it says, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. He will be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low and the crooked will become straight and the rough way smooth and everyone will see the salvation of God. So today we're going to look at, at Elizabeth and Zechariah and a little bit of John the Baptist. And you, you might wonder, well, how are they a part of the Christmas story? 
Well, if you remember uh, about Elizabeth, anything about her, one thing that you might know is that Elizabeth's cousin was Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And we are told in Scripture that Elizabeth had been was going to be prophesied that, that she was going to have a son named John. This is 700 years before he's ever born in the book of Isaiah. It was prophesied she would have a son named John who would come into the world in order to prepare everyone for the coming of Jesus. So they're a big part of the story. And so I just want us to look at, at Elizabeth and Zechariah. And let's just notice, I just want us to notice a few things about them. Then we'll tie it all up and try to figure out what that means to us today. And so the very first thing I want us to see about Elizabeth and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist, is first of all, they, they were a faithful people. I mean, these were people who loved God. These were people who were seeking after God. And in, in Luke chapter 1, in verse number 5, this is what it says. It says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, in verse number 6, it, we are told that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were people who were faithful to God. They were faithful followers of God. And that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. We're told that they were righteous in God's sight. Now, I know that there's some of us, and we think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm a, I'm a righteous, I think I'm a righteous person. But whenever you add on that they were righteous, even in God's sight, this is a whole new ballgame right here. I mean, I think pretty good about myself, but sometimes I wonder, but in God's sight, what would he say? Well, if this couple... God said they were righteous even in His sight. So their faith, their, their following of God, it was something that was real. It was something that was legitimate. And, and they had good reason to be followers of God. I mean, you can look at their family history. If you, if you look in verse number 5, it says that Zechariah was a part of the priesthood. Now, during this day, you did not choose to become a priest. You had to be born into a specific family in order to be ordained to be a part of the priesthood that would serve at the temple. And we're told in this verse that Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. Now there's a lot of little things in the Bible, and you just kind of read past it, but that's, that's actually significant. Uh, it meant that he was from the family of Abijah. Now who is Abijah? If any of you all play Trivial Pursuit, you think you'd get that one right. Okay, I don't know who Abijah is, so I'll have to look it up. Now, Abijah, his grandfather was Aaron. Now, this is where y'all get to, y'all are going to participate. It's the first service. This is the easy one to kind of, to fall asleep in. Okay, so, so uh, Aaron, anybody know who Aaron was in the Bible? Yeah, brother of Moses. Y'all good. Y'all are awake. This is good stuff. So he was the brother of Moses. Now, Moses was the one who led the Hebrew people out of Egyptian captivity. And Aaron helped him. And Aaron, because God chose him, he said, it's from your family that I'm going to create a priesthood to serve me in the temple. So Zechariah was from this family. That's why he's a priest. Uh, we're also told later on that Elizabeth, his wife, she was also related to Aaron. And so what this means is this couple, I mean, basically in today's, in today's terminology, they're preacher's kids, which means these are the best kind of kids that there are, right? 
And so these are great people right here. So they had every reason to be people who would follow after God. They were strong in their background. But here's the question. It says that they were faithful to God. Why would they be faithful? Because if you look at the day in which they were living, there wasn't a whole lot of reason for them to be motivated to want to serve God. Historically speaking, we can look at where they are. They're, they're in Israel. They're not in charge of their own country. All right, there's an occupying army there. The Romans are there. As a matter of fact, at this point, Israel has not been in charge of their own country in hundreds and hundreds of years. Not since before King Nebuchadnezzar had come for the Babylonians and taken the people into captivity. So not, not, not anything, you know, uh, politically, not anything in their environment right now for them to be motivated to serve God. But they think about it also spiritually. Where the nation was spiritually at this time, this is right before Jesus is born. God had not spoken to his people through a prophet in over 400 years. They had not heard a word from God in 400 years. And yet, Zechariah and Elizabeth were still serving God. Why? Because God had given the people a promise. One of the last things God told the people before he quit speaking to them is in Malachi 4 in the Old Testament, verses 5 through 6. God said, look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Now this was, this was another name in the New Testament for John the Baptist. He said, before, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he, John the Baptist, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now this whole historical perspective makes it even more incredible to me to think that Elizabeth and Zechariah still remain faithful to God even though they hadn't seen God's hand, hadn't heard God's voice in over 400 years. And you know, in some ways, our, our world today is very similar to theirs. We have a lot of people who are, who are religious, who can say the right things, but then we look around and think, it doesn't look like it's doing a whole lot of good. You know, I mean, it seems like that everything's on a, on a fast track to disaster right now. And it seems like that people aren't really all that interested in truth and, that, and the things that we used to call right, we now call wrong and vice versa. And so it seems like everything is just, yeah, everything is on, on fire right now. And we look and say, well, why should we be faithful to following after God when it doesn't seem like it's doing any good? Why don't we just, you know, just sort of cash it in and not be disappointed? Well, one of the reasons why is because what Jesus told us. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13, he said, then they will hand you over for persecution. He's speaking of his people here. He said, they'll kill you. He said, you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Y'all, is any of this sounding familiar to you? you? You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. He says, then many will take offense. Do people take offense today? Oh my goodness, everybody's offended about everything. All right? He said, you're going to betray one another. You're going to hate one another. It says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. But here's the good news. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end 
will come. That the best results all are able to be seen by those people who are willing to endure to the end. To hang on to what God promises. I read an article a few weeks ago about becoming a Navy SEAL. Not because I was going to become one, but I found it interesting. And it said that the guys who enter into the program, they have to be between, I believe, the ages of like uh, uh, 17 and 28. And to become a Navy SEAL, of course, is something that is tremendously difficult. Uh, The things they have to endure to to actually get through the program is mind-boggling. One of the things you have to do in the training is you have to be able to run four miles in under 31 minutes wearing gear. Uh, Another thing you have to do is you have to be be able to do 70 push-ups in two minutes. Uh, you have to be able to swim a thousand meters. I don't even know how far that is, but it's a long way. A thousand meters in under 20 minutes. And then they come to the last part of the training. It's known as Hell Week. Last five and a half days. You train 20 hours a day the last five and a half days. Only get to sleep for four hours. But during that time, during that five days, you run over 200 miles. Over 25% of the SEALs drop out before they get to that point. It's when they get into the basic underwater demolition. And one of the trainers said, people don't make it. It's not because that they are not physically tough enough. He said, it's mental. He said, they, they end up quitting mainly because of the mental stress. Now, I look at that and I think, why would anybody want to do that? And it's pretty simple when it comes down to it, because if you go through that training, you are part of the elite. If you go through that training, then you have the opportunity to be a part of a team that can alter history. And then I look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I think, why would they want to go through over 400 years of silence from God and yet remain faithful? Because they knew that those who endure to the end will be delivered and win. And they could be a part of something that would transform history. I look at, look at his parents, John the Baptist's parents. They were a faithful people. But there's something that we have to be honest about. They were also a hurting people. They, they were a couple that was in pain. In verse number 7, it tells us why. It says, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. Now, this was, a, this was a couple that was faithful to God, but even though they were faithful to God, they still had pain in their lives. And the reason why they had pain in their lives is because they were not able to have children. And there are some people that I know right here in our church who know the pain of this. Now, there have been people in the church, and people I'm sure that you know who've gone through, you know, like in vitro fertilization. They've spent thousands and thousands of dollars, and it hadn't worked. I've seen other people in our church who've tried to adopt children and and they get all excited and then when it comes to the very end, right before they're getting ready to get that child, and it falls through. And they're devastated. And I sit there and I see those things and and I wish I had an answer for why things like that happen. I, I don't know. I don't know why things like this happen, but this was sort of like the situation that Zechariah and Elizabeth were in. These are people that we can identify with. These are people who were faithful, but they were also people who had pain. They were people who were struggling. And they they weren't just in pain emotionally. This would also have been pain for them financially. You know, back during these days, in, in, in Bible days, your children were your 401k. Now, does that scare some of you? 
Now, as a 401k, if you, whenever you became older and you were no longer able to take care of yourself and provide, then what would happen, the children that you had, they were the ones that would bring you back into their home and they would begin to take care of you. They would provide for you in your older age. And so for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't have this. They didn't have anybody to take care of them. And we're told that as time was passing, then their chances of being able to have a child were diminishing. We are told they were getting along in years. We don't know exactly how old they were. It just means that the chances of them being able to have children were becoming less and less with each year. And so these were people that were in pain. So why would God allow something like this? You ever wonder that? And why would God allow people that were faithful? Why would he allow them to hurt? Why would God allow people who loved Him, who were trusting in Him, who were following Him, to live so much of their lives in uncertainty and what was going to happen to them in the future? Is it because God was mad at them? Is it because, is it because God enjoys seeing people suffer? Is it because it was something they brought on themselves? And it could be there's some of you who ask those questions as well. When things aren't going well for you in your lives, it's very easy to begin to ask the question, Why? You know, are these things happening to me because God's angry? Are are these things happening to me because I've done something wrong? Now, part of the time, there are things that happen to us that are not good because we bring it on ourselves. Um, There's things in my life that I've experienced, and it's not not anybody else's fault but mine. Um, Every once in a while, when I drive, there's times when I might drive a little faster than I should. And, and I've been driving before, and I've, had, I've, had, I've seen blue lights before. And I've been pulled over. And, and let me tell you, when I get pulled over, my first thought is not, man, you know I deserve this. It's never my first thought. My first thought is, why is he pulling me over when there's real crime going on? Y'all ever had those thoughts before? I mean, those are some of the, I just immediately began to defend myself. I'm thinking, hey, listen, the reason why I was going so fast is because everybody around here is driving like a crazy person. And I'm just trying to get around them. Now, most of the time, whenever things that bad are happening in my life, there are a lot of times when it is self-inflicted wounds, but there are other times when bad things happen, and I don't have anything to do with it. Now, what's up with that? You know, what, what's going on whenever, whenever there are things that are not working out in my life, and it's, not, it's really not my fault? It's not your fault. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really have good answers for that. I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth, when they look at their predicament, they, they couldn't give any good answers for why they couldn't have children. But here's what's interesting to see what they did, is that they kept on trucking in their faith. They kept on believing that God, even though they weren't seeing it in their own lives, they were having faith that the God of Scripture is true, the God of Scripture is good. And Zechariah was hoping that God, he was trusting that God was going to live up to his name. To his name. The name Zechariah means God remembers. And Zechariah was trusting that God would remember his promises. He was trusting that God would remember 
the plans that he had for his life. He was trusting that God would remember the prayers that he'd been offering up, that he and his wife would be able to have children. And so my hope for you is that even though you might be a person who's hurting today, even though you might be a person who's hurting and you don't understand why certain things are happening in your life, that you can come to a place like Zechariah and you can say, you know what, I am going to have faith and I'm going to trust that the God of Scripture is a God who remembers. He remembers His promises. That He hasn't forgotten about me. I know that we can look at what's happening in our lives sometimes and we can look at what's going on in the world and we can say, man, it seems like God's forgotten. It seems like God doesn't know what's going on. But, but my hope is stirred when I see people like this couple in Scripture and I see that they continually desired to serve God even in the midst of silence. Because they believe God's true. Hebrews 11.13 says these all died in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance. They greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. That's, that's Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were faithful people. They were hurting people. But here's one of my favorite things to notice about this couple. They were a chosen people. They had been chosen by God. In verse number 8, it says, When his division, Zechariah's division, was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. And at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. You know, sometimes life seems like, you know, sort of like, sort of like a, it's a, everything happens by chance. You know, they go, oh, there's some things that have happened in my life because I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Some of us say, well, this is why my life is like this because I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so the question is, you know, are, are we here by chance or are we here on purpose? You know, is God, has God, does God have a plan for me or am I just another, I'm just another living organism that just sort of popped up and I'm just sort of wandering through life? You know, do things happen for a reason, or are things happening by chance? Uh, there's a guy went to the doctor, and he's going to have some tests run on his kidneys, and the doctor said this will be a pretty simple test, but there's a chance, like a 1 in 10,000 chance, that some things could go wrong during the procedure. And the guy got nervous, and he looked at the doctor and said, what number are we on right now? 
And I think there's some of us, we, we feel that way. Hey, where am I in line with, when it comes down to stats and stuff? Hey, you know, what, are, you know what, 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 what are my chances? So with, with Zechariah, when he goes to the temple, did this all happen because it was just a coincidence? Or did it happen because God had a plan? Well, Zechariah was a part of the priesthood. In Israel at this time, there were 18,000 priests. About twice a year, two weeks during the year, a division would be called up to go to the temple to serve in the temple. Now, things became even a little, you can narrow it down even more with Zechariah because as his division is called up, Zechariah is chosen, our scripture says he is chosen to offer the incense at the altar. Now, this was a high privilege. This is something that only happened once or twice in the lifetime of a priest. Only once or twice would he get to offer up the incense at the altar. Now, what's the significance of that? The incense being offered up, it was supposed to, it was supposed to be a picture of the prayers of God's people going up to God, being lifted up, being received by God. And so Zechariah goes in, and the people are praying. He offers up the incense as prayer to God. Now, what would the people be praying for? Well, the people will be praying for, at this time, for deliverance. Remember, the Romans are in charge of them. They are praying, God, send the Messiah. We want freedom. But Zechariah was also praying, and he was praying, God, send me a son. And what happened? Well, we're told that as Zechariah was burning the incense, an angel appeared to him, and we're told in verse number 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Now, was this a coincidence? And absolutely not. God knew he was going to be there. He chose him for this special occasion, and he spoke to him and said, listen, Zechariah, I've heard your prayers. I know your wife can't have a child, but I want you to know today that your wife is going to have a son and you will name him John. That's pretty specific. Now, I know we all like to think our children are special, and they are, but John was a different, he's a different case here. He was super special. Now, now why was he all that special? Because his child, Zechariah's child John, was going to be the man who would prepare the nation of Israel for Jesus. He was a special child because he was going to be the one who was going to come and tell people the Messiah is coming. He was the marking point in history that God was breaking into our world. And so John the Baptist, he's a huge part of the Christmas story. He was a necessity before Jesus ever came. And he was able to come because of the parents that he had. Now, what do we know about his parents? They were faithful. They were people who were hurting. But they were chosen people. And God used them. Okay, so that's, that's kind of an interesting way. To, it's a different part of the story of Christmas. And you say, well, that's kind of interesting to have that kind of knowledge. But what does all that stuff mean for us today? Here's what we can glean from the story and how it impacts our lives today. First of all, from the story, here's what we can see. God keeps his word. When God makes a promise in the Bible, and he made one over 700 years before Jesus ever came, 
He said, I'm going to send one who will prepare the people to receive my message. God keeps his word. Here's what else we can know. Even whenever we are hurting, even whenever we have things that are happening in our lives that we don't understand, we can hang on to the promise that God is always faithful. That God never forgets us. That God knows about our lives specifically. And then I want to close with this. We look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're told they were a chosen people. What happened to them, it was not luck. It was not pure coincidence. It was that God had chosen them. Now here's what I believe about you. I believe God has chosen you to be here today. You are not here by accident. You are here for a reason. And God knew that you would be here. God wants you to hear the message of the coming Savior, Jesus, for Christmas. He wants you to know that Jesus entered into this world in order to give you life. He wants you to know that Jesus entered into this world in order to bring reconciliation between you and God. You are here for a reason. Now, the big question for all of us, well, what are we going to do with that information? Are we going to trust Him? Are we going to follow Him? Are we going to serve Him? Even whenever things are painful in our lives, are we willing to say, God, I don't understand, but Lord, I will believe and hope in you. You see, Christmas is a demonstration of God's love and His love for you. Christmas is a demonstration that when God makes a promise, He always keeps it. The question is, will we be like Zechariah and Elizabeth And say, God, regardless of my circumstances, I will hang on to you. Because the Bible says those who endure to the end will be delivered. God keeps his promises. 